0: Today on Superheroes of Science, we are here with um, Assistant Professor Dan Dawson, here in the Department of Earth, Atmospheric, and Planetary Sciences at Purdue University. So, welcome! Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. And it's I just I
1: I want to say you're like Dan the Tornado Man. Is that (laughs) fair? Yeah. uh, We we have three different professors named Dan in the department, and so there's been this. How are we going to distinguish them? So I'm supposedly Tornado Dan and we also also have Cloud Dan and Hurricane Dan and uh, (laughs) I I work with clouds too, but it just, Tornado works better. (laughs) (laughs) But you're the
0: the one faculty that I've talked to at least. I'm guessing Robin's done some chasing, but it seems to be the the whole storm chasing's kind of been something that you do.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, do it a lot.
0: And so it's that's 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 your thing. It's I know we've talked before about right. how you've spent and took off for the day because there was a storm coming through to yeah. see where it was going to be, trying to follow it up and uh, or intersect, I should say. Right. Okay.
1: So yeah, it depends on on the scenario. But like um, we do, well, both of us do storm chasing both for research and for um, just for amateur. For well, we'll actually well we do it for us as a hobby as well as research and also rep- trying to report things to the weather service mm-hmm. and you know impromptu spotting of like for example if there's a storm nearby I'll have to go up to the um, roof by the way you know got to be careful with these things lightning like danger or whatever but just to look and get an idea of what this, the the storm's doing and 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 re- re- relay that to the to the weather service if possible, or if we'll go out storm chasing. I don't know how much you wanted to talk about this, we have a class devoted to learning about yeah. severe storms um, and how to how to chase them effectively, how to deploy instrumentation around them, and basically do a real field project. So it's a mixture of all of those things, uh, sort of hobby, research, and, and for public service. Mm-hmm. And s- sometimes they all they, they merge together, and it's not sure. always easy to break those apart but yeah so the only thing i had a problem
0: with what you said is when you started to say amateur so i don't think you can call yourself an yeah, amateur no, so anything this <laughs> depends
1: on what you call it. so amateur this is it's interesting because different people have different ideas of what that means uh-huh. so when i say amateur i don't mean like less sophisticated okay i mean doing it not as part of your job like uh, something okay. that that you're interested in doing for example an amateur astronomer Am- amateur astronomers i'm an amateur astronomer i have a Telescope, I use it occasionally when I can take astrophotography, but I'm not a professional astronomer, I don't do it as my job. Okay, but okay. I you know, lots of amateur, astron- amateur astronomers make some really high quality and important observations, yeah. yeah. So it's not like they're a second tier, okay. Mm-hmm. Same thing when it comes to amateur storm chasing, I'm both an amateur and a professional okay in that regard right. does that make sense yes it, yeah that's how i look for some at reason that. it does yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, now by professional i mean i i do it i do the storm chasing as part of my research like this recent field program we did not as you know there are other professional storm chasers yeah. but that's actually what they do their job they they actually make a livelihood by just going and chasing storms getting video nothing wrong with that that's not me i don't do i um like um it's part of my yeah. professional. Because yes. you're a, you're a, yeah. a research scientist, correct? Yes. Yeah.
0: Correct? Yeah. And the, is your main research are is it the tornadoes or just types of storms? What is your uh, narrowed
1: down focus? So the the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> I study storms and tornadoes. So I'm interested in all aspects of uh, severe thunderstorms, how they form, um, how um, what the Mechanisms surrounding how they produce their severe weather, mm-hmm. um, so that can include high winds, hail, and tornadoes. Uh, my emphasis is on understanding processes related to development of tornadoes and the storms, but I also focus on other aspects of the storms that don't necessarily have a direct connection to the tornadoes too. So I do a, a little bit of all of that. Okay. Yeah, that's sort of my 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 um, sort of. Corpus of research around storm and tornado dynamics behavior. Yeah,
0: I know a lot of people that would. There's a lot of fear, right, surrounding just the, even the idea of tornadoes. That people are just like, oh my goodness, I don't know. So so, surrounding you said um, the the parts that maybe form the tornado, right? The mm-hmm. process of, of the tornado formation. What's what does that look like, or is it is it too varied, or are there some definite components? That no, that's it?
1: um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, uh, I'll try to break that apart a couple in a couple different ways. Um, one is um, tornadoes can form in many different types of thunderstorms. Okay. The uh, the most common type, the ones the type of storms. So storms come in different flavors, different species, so okay. to speak. Um, the kind of sp- Uh, species of storm, thunderstorm that um, produces tornadoes most frequently and the most intense are called supercell storms and uh, a supercell storm is simply uh, a storm in the most simplest definition you can come up with is a storm that has a rotating updraft so all thunderstorms have updrafts in them that is um, air that's rising very rapidly Mm -hmm. in the center of the storm as that air is rising it's cooling off water vapor in the air is condensing onto cloud droplets. So that's where the cloud comes from, the deep. And it's doing that. as it's doing that, it's releasing heat to the air. It's heating up the air, making the air more buoyant, which accelerates the updraft. So that's the fuel, force course, for pretty much any thunderstorm, mm-hmm. is that con- uh, heat coming from the condensation okay. of water vapor onto the cloud drops as the air is expanding and cooling off. And so every storm has an updraft, and often several of them kind of De- depending on the type of storm, you have what's called a single-cell storm, which uh, a cell being in the in, in storm parlance means a cu- an updraft and downdraft together, a couple. Okay. Okay. So you can think of a storm cell as being somewhat analogous to a biological cell. And um, that it's like the fundamental unit of a, of, of a convective storm is this cell, which is an updraft and downdraft together. Okay. Um, just like every you know, a person has multiple cells and that's their fundamental life unit is a, th- is a cell, right? Yeah. It's kind of like that. So, a lot of storms, you can have single cell storms, you can also have multiple, multi-cell storms, those are the most common, where there's several cells kind of in different stages of their life cycle, acting together as a single unit. And the supercell is a more organized form where it's, it's, it's back to a single cell, um, but it, it's a large updraft and it's rotating. And so that's the, that's the, the fundamental definition. is a storm that has a deep persistent rotating updraft. Okay. And these supercells have often have distinct features when you look at them on radar. They have this um, uh, region of very heavy precipitation and, and then this region of lighter precipitation that sort of spreads out ahead of it. It's called the forward flank of the storm. And on the backside of the storm, there's often a hook echo, which is sort of like this streamer precipitation that wraps around in a sort of uh, counterclockwise fashion, cyclonic fashion, around um, where the, the circulation is, where the rotating updraft is. Now a tornado, if it's going to form, will tend to form very close to um, the base of that updraft, um, near the edge of where that updraft and the downdraft of the storm is located. Okay. It tends to form right at that edge near the tip of the hook echo. That's for a supercell. Other types of storms, like squall lines, storms that form along a line, which lots of people are probably familiar with, um, um, can also produce tornadoes. Um, They tend to be produced in embedded circulations within that line. Sometimes you'll even have supercells embedded in the line. um, And tornadoes can form in those. But they can also form in these shallow little, small spin-ups along the line. And those are hard to predict and detect ahead of time. Tornadoes that form in squall lines tend to be, on average, weaker, and not as long-lived as those that form from supercells, Mm -hmm. but they still can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Just got done with a field program that was specifically designed to study tornadoes from linear storms. We've studied a lot of the uh, the supercell Mm -hmm. type. Um, We still have a lot to learn about that, don't get me wrong, but much less so have we studied the ones that form in lines, because historically they've been less deadly, less... Less, uh, it, it, um, less of a uh, um, a direct threat, so to speak, on the on the hierarchy. But we're changing that now. We're starting to study those more. So, um, but yes, uh, I think I kind of went off a little bit on a tangent there. But to get back to your question, um, there's tornadoes. Um, so obviously, not all thunderstorms produce tornadoes. Not even all supercells produce tornadoes. In fact. Some estimates that less than 10 to 20% of them
0: do. Okay.
1: But they all have rotation in the storms itself. Yeah, a know. supercell is by defined by that. It has to have a rotating updraft. Yeah, but not but that necessarily rota- a tornado. Correct, yes. And there's a good reason for that. The the the, the, the scale of the rotation of a supercell's updraft, it tends to be pretty large, around 10 kilometers or so in diameter. Oh. And they're, they're not very vigorous rotation uh, relative to that of a tornado. Tornado is a very concentrated, very rapidly rotating uh, vortex. A mesocyclone is a larger, broader, more weakly rotating vortex. And it also tends to be higher up in the storm, above the ground. So not necessarily connected directly to the ground. So in order to get from that to a tornado, lots of things have to happen that depend on many different processes in the atmosphere that we're still learning about. Um, It turns out that we know that that a supercell is more likely to produce a tornado if certain things in the environment are primed for it. So one big example is if we have a lot of wind shear in the lowest kilometer or so above the ground. So that means an increase of wind speed with height and change in direction with height. All supercells need that over a big deep layer, somewhere between the surface to six kilometers above the ground um, where you have that W- uh, wind shear and that helps um, produce the rotation. Now I could go all day about this but I <laughs> don't have all day, but the idea is that if you have this wind shear, the wind increases with height and speed with height and changes direction, that sets up a sense of rotation around a horizontal axis. So if you think about it this way, if you think about having like a rolling pin, mm-hmm. and you're rolling it mm-hmm. along and, and you put this giant rolling pin with the axis laying on on the ground, just mm-hmm and the top of the rolling pin is at 6 kilometers above ground and the bottom's near the ground. Or even think of it as this giant paddle wheel, if that helps, like a water wheel or something like that. It's probably better, you know, if the wind's blowing faster at the top of it than it is at the bottom, you're going to start the thing rotating around that horizontal axis, right? Okay. So there's this sense, it's not that there actually is this rotation at, around a horizontal axis, it's that there's this propensity for that from the wind shear. What happens when a storm comes along is this updraft kind of pokes into that and it takes that rotation around the horizontal axis and tilts it upward, kind of bends the whole tube, so to speak. I'm simplifying it a little bit, but but the idea is that you get that isolated tilting Mm -hmm. and then other processes go along to kind of concentrate and stretch that and that's where you get the rotation of the updraft for a supercell. So you need wind shear. Environment need a certain amount. So the supercells like that kind of wind shear. They also like uh, instability in the atmosphere. So that's where the temperature is dropping off fast enough with height in the environment, like a, as measured, say, by a weather balloon that's rising up, so that the air parcels that are rising up in the updraft of the storm are that much more warmer than their surroundings. The warmer they are relative to their surroundings, and they're warm again. Remember by that heat released by the condensation. So they end up being a lot warmer than the environment. And if the environment is cooling off fast enough, that makes it even warmer. That makes it less dense relative to its environment. So that increases the buoyant force upward. It's accelerating upward. Just like if I took a beach ball and shoved it under the water. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's done this, right? It, it, it really wants to m- come, move up. Yeah. Right? Right. The bigger right. the beach ball the more it wants to move up because it's buoyant. It's less dense than the surrounding water. The water wants to push it up. Same thing is happening in a storm. The air parcels inside the storm are less dense than those surrounding it. So if you look at a big storm in the sky, you think, wow, that looks like it's heavy with water and it's all you know, like this, it's actually less massive, less dense overall, in the updraft at least, than the air surrounding it that is dry and cloud free. It's kind of counterintuitive. But it's less dense, at least in the updraft, not in the downdraft part, but the updraft, because of all that heat that's being released, making the air less dense. So um, that's all this, that is what creates the updraft. The more that instability is, the more that temperature drops off in the environment with height and some other things, the more moisture there is in the atmosphere, the more humidity there is in the low levels to fuel it. That means there's more condensation, more heating. So that increases the intensity. It's called the convective available potential energy. We can actually calculate this. We send a weather balloon up, we know what the temperature and the dew point are doing as they go up. We can calculate this thing called CAPE, which tells you sort of an upper bound of how intense that updraft's gonna be. Oh. Okay. um, So those two together and that wind shear generate that initial rotation of the updraft. Now, a tornado though, needs more than that it needs, uh, we've seen that environments that have a lot of that wind shear just in the lowest few hundred meters above ground Mm -hmm. tend to favor tornadoes more than others because that creates a stronger rotation of the mesocyclone closer to the ground. You get more like a vacuum effect near the ground. It's like a wants to draw the air up into Mm -hmm. it. Um, um, It also, the lower the base of the cloud, the lower it is when the air that's rising up first becomes saturated and produces cloud that's also favorable for tornadoes there's a lot of other things that go into this so just because you have the environment favorable for a supercell doesn't necessarily mean it's favorable for a tornado you need some additional um, uh, tweaks in the environment so okay. to speak and uh, so that's the basics of these processes and we can tell a lot by just looking at say the environment that we get from a weather balloon But the processes that actually go into developing the tornado and the storm are extremely complicated. So we can have all the potential there, but if something else is wrong, the way the storm is behaving, maybe the storm is merging with other storms and that's interfering with its life cycle, or maybe the outflow of the storm is too cold, we have too much cool air coming out of it, even if everything else looks favorable, we may not get a tornado. And the other uh, way is true as well. Sometimes the environment, just from looking at the environment ahead of the storm, doesn't look particularly favorable, but other things are happening that tipped the scales to maybe create a tornado that may not have been there. And these are the things that I study is the dynamics, the physics of what, how individual storms are behaving, so.
0: Oh, very yeah. cool. Now when the, when we have a tornado, and it starts off with that funnel cloud, it always comes, does it start, does, now does it actually start from the clouds and come down? Because it, it perceives to,
1: so is that actually how that rotation is happening. So that's a really, really good question. And there's, uh, it's, I can, again, I could spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to very briefly say that the short answer to your question is that tornadoes form from the bottom up. However, there's some things to keep uh, to understand why we um, there's this idea that they form from the top down. There's there's two reasons historically that that has been a, a, a theory one is is that in um, earlier days of studying tornadoes w- the when still today the best tools we have are uh, for studying storms on this time and space scales that were important for this kind of thing are radars okay and the weather radars can can scan um but they can't scan really close to the ground because the beam would get Hit trees and yeah. other mm-hmm. obstacles, mm-hmm. so we have to tilt the, the beam up a little bit. So we, unless you're really close to the radar, you're typically scanning more than a couple hundred meters or more above the ground is the lowest you can get, and so we can only detect the rotation in a storm above the ground. We can't detect it near the surface with the radar, okay? Unless again with special circumstances like mobile radars on trucks that we can get right up close and personal. Yeah. But yeah. In general, we can't do that, and so we see. What we'll often see is that the storm's mesocyclone will intensify and then a tornado will form. So that led to this sort of idea this is cause and effect that the t- rotation starts in the middle part of the storm and then mm-hmm. descends later. Okay, But as we've come to learn over the years, that is way too simple of a picture. It is true that often the mesocyclone intensifies before a tornado forms. But what's going on is that as it's intensifying, it's intensifying that vacuum sucking effect. You're getting that intensification of the updraft. The actual rotation that goes into developing the tornado forms at the surface underneath that from other processes which we're still learning. How do we get that vertical um, rotation right near the ground? That is the holy grail of tornado research, is to figure out exactly how that happens. And there's still lots of theories and what we're we're working on that. But assuming you can get this region of rotation near the surface, Mm Now you need something to concentrate that. You know, the proverbial skater on the ice, conservation of momentum, yeah. pulling it in, that's part of it, it's not the whole story. But that's uh, particularly for the beginning phase of the tornado where you've got this broader rotation you're trying to tighten it up. Mm-hmm. You need something to do that. And the way to do that is if you're uh, stretching air, if you're sucking air up, like of a vacuum cleaner hose over the ground and you're pulling air up into it, Uh then that's also causing air to rush in from the sides, right? Conservation of mass. If there's rotation in the air, it's also going to tighten that rotation, okay? And so we think that the final stage of tornado genesis, just before you get a tornado when you didn't have one before, at least starts is from that final stretching, concentration and stretching of that rotation. And that's a bottom-up process. It starts from the ground up. But the actual sucking that's going on, the stretching of the air into an acceleration of the updraft, is happening in part because of the intensification of the rotation above it. So the rotation of the mesocyclone is uh, indirectly related to the rotation of the tornado in that it helps concentrate it okay. down below by the virtue of its updraft. Does that make sense? It's kind of complicated. Yeah, it, um, and then
0: without a way to gather yeah. that data, it's just difficult to try to piece those. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
1: So we can't see all that that's right. happening unless we have special instrumentation nearby, and that's why we have these field programs. I see. To try to put as much instrumentation around. We also use numerical simulations to try to get at that, but right. we need to know our numerical simulations, you know, they, we don't know, they have, they're very complicated, and the, we are treating a lot of the processes that are going on in a... Simplified manner so we need to be able to validate what we're seeing in the simulations With what we're actually observing so we need everything we need the field programs To get data collected near the Mm grounds in close proximity, and we need the simulations to help Understand the processes going on Mm -hmm. because the even the best field program We're not going to get data everywhere. We we need it. The simulation can fill in those gaps But you have to they have to feed off of each other, but yes, that's the idea is that the, I said the short answer was it's a bottom up. The longer answer is it's a little bit of both. It's complicated. Yeah.
0: And the ones that don't, uh, if it's just a funnel cloud and it doesn't touch the ground, oh, okay. yeah. is that also starting bottom up or is that one dipping down?
1: So yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the, the second reason why there's often this idea out there that tornadoes come from the cloud down is that yeah. that's what it looks like a lot of times. Yeah. When you're watching a, vi- a video of a tornado that's forming a funnel cloud, you'll often see that the funnel will start extending down yeah. toward the ground. Mm-hmm. And then you think, oh, so the tornado's coming out of the clock. No, that's not what's happening. It's an optical illusion. No. Nothing is moving down, okay? What is moving down, it's like um, one analogy I use. If you take a pair of scissors, I wish I had, I could show you, but if you take a pair of scissors and you start with them open and then you close it, you can look at the intersection point of the scissors, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as you close the scissors, you see that intersection point moving along it. But is anything actually moving that direction? No, it's just that point of intersection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the blades are actually moving horizontally in that case. Right. So in a tornado that's the forming, the air is coming in near the ground and moving up, okay? Now, as the tornado develops, you can also get a downdraft in the center of the tornado, but that's not relevant to this discussion. But in general, the air is coming in the base and moving up. The funnel cloud looks as moving down only because what's happening is that as the air is concentrating, the rotation is spinning up, as you start increasing the rotation, the pressure drops. The, the, those two go hand in hand. Rotating air is associated with low pressure in the center and as it, the rotation intensifies, the pressure gets lower. Well, the lower the pressure, the more the air is expanding as it goes up, the more it's cooling off, and it and it starts condensing cloud at a lower altitude than before. Okay. Okay. So what you're seeing is cloud forming at lower and lower altitudes as the air is rushing up, but the air is always going up the whole time. It's just the point where the cloud is forming that you can see it. It's, moving down towards the ground. But that is not a physical object, it's just a location where this process is happening. Just like that, the scissor, uh-huh. the two blades coming yeah. together, it's, not a, it's just a point where that... does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah, yeah, it so does. it's it's a total optical illusion. There's no actual object m- like air that's moving down with that cloud. It's just the clouds forming at lower and lower altitudes. Which also helps explain the other point here is that a tornado is not the funnel cloud. A tornado is the air, it's the wind, okay? It's the vortex. By itself, without if there wasn't any cloud in the area, it could be invisible, unless it was picking up debris and dirt and stuff. Uh-huh. And in fact, in many cases, you can have a tornado in progress where the funnel cloud is maybe even not even present or only partway reaching the ground. So don't just rely, if you see a funnel cloud in the distance, and you don't see it touching the ground, does not mean there's not a tornado there. In fact, often there is. One way to tell, um, again, this is a, uh, it's a, I'm gonna say this wrong. It's, it's a necessary but not sufficient condition that you have the strong road, no, I'm gonna say that wrong. The idea is that if you see a funnel cloud in the distance, and if you see, like, dirt and debris swirling around at the base of it, uh-huh. that is sufficient for it to be a tornado, sufficient condition. Uh-huh. Because you have, what you have is you have strong enough winds rotating around near the ground to actually start doing some damage. Okay. Okay. That's the basic idea that when you have a tornado. If you have a funnel cloud, but there's not a strong surface circulation, which can happen yet, then, yeah, then that's not a tornado. But it's often very difficult to tell that from a distance. Right. So you can't assume just because you don't see the funnel cloud reaching the ground that there's not a tornado there. The tornado is just the wind. Now as the tornado intensifies, the rotation intensifies, generally you'll see that funnel start to move down toward the ground, but it doesn't always make it all the way. So there are many cases of tornadoes where what you'll see is sort of like the funnel cloud in the middle tapering down, but then you'll see this column of dirt and debris that's kind of sheathing it mm-hmm. around it. That's a tornado. Just because the funnel cloud is, is not all the way to the ground doesn't mean it's not torn. I know it sound like a broken record, but that's very important <laughs> yeah. to understand this. So and depending on this, the environment, if you have a for example, if you have an environment that's relatively dry, like sometimes this can happen out in the plains, western plains, high plains, where there's just not as much moisture as around. Mm-hmm. And, um, you can have cases where um, you have storms with pretty high cloud bases, and you'll get tornadoes that often um, won't have any visible funnel cloud. You'll see rotation at the Base of the cloud, and you'll see the debris swirling around and dust rising up. But that's all it be, will be—a dust tube, a tube of dust without hardly any cloud in it. And that's still a tornado, even if there's no funnel cloud at all. So, yeah. But in general, often, typically, as a tornado gets going, um, you will eventually get a funnel cloud that reaches the surface. So, just the whole point of me trying—what I'm saying there—is that that's not a necessary condition yeah. for that for a tornado. It's, a, it's like an accessory, it's an attendant to what's actually going on, that's important. Well, that is cool. That <laughs> is really cool. That's See, cool. I,
0: I've heard like bits and pieces, so I didn't really know for sure, uh-huh. to be honest. So
1: that's what I asked for me. <laughs> no, 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 it's a great question. I get a lot, um, and if you ever take spotter training with the weather service, mm-hmm. they'll go over this too. They, it's one of the key things, because they, they want, when they want people to report tornadoes, they want them to understand what it is they're looking at and that what, what even if it's just a funnel cloud, doesn't mean that there's not a tornado there. Now what they'll do is they'll, we have these things, these rules of thumb for spotting purposes. Okay. That if we're out there and we're a certain distance from a tornado um, and we see the funnel cloud and it's only a quarter of the way from the cloud base to the ground, oftentimes we say it's probably not a tornado there, again though it can be. Mm-hmm. The rule of thumb that we often use, but again, it's just a rule of thumb, and it's it's very variable from case to case, is that if the funnel reaches about halfway to the surface, there's probably, very likely, a surface circulation that's tornadic. Okay. So then, what we'll say, okay, there's probably a tornado here, call it in, or whatever. So, okay, yeah.
0: Fair enough. That's cool. That is cool.